I don't know if you've read any um, Christian biographies, um, but if you have, what are, the, what are the ones that have had the biggest impact on you? Um, what is it about the stories of other Christians that can be such an encouragement to us? Isn't it that God takes very ordinary people and that as they put their strength in him, he achieves extraordinary things through them? A couple of the biographies that have inspired me over the years when I was growing up. Uh, one was uh, God's Spunk Smuggler uh, by Brother Andrew. I don't know, there was the fact that uh, my first car was uh, a clapped-out VW Beetle, uh, or the, uh, the fact that I lived in West Berlin for a while, and I experienced what it's like, intimidation of crossing from west to, to east. To do that with a carload of Bibles must have been a pretty scary thing to do. But he was an ordinary guy, um, started life as a soldier, and had a lot of guilt to deal with as he put his life in the hands of Jesus Christ. Then there was Johnny. I'm sure some of you read her story. Story of a normal teenage girl. Loved swimming. Dived into the sea one day without realizing just how shallow it was. And was paralyzed from the neck down. Again, I think of how much I enjoy sport. How would I have coped? with such a situation. But as she trusted in God, he gave her the courage and the strength to embrace her disability and to use it for his glory. More recently, I read the story of captive in Iran, a story of two Iranian women, uh, Mariam Rostampur and uh, Mazia Amarizadeh, who knew that they were not allowed to share their Christian faith in Iran, but uh, through them, the Bible, the New Testament, was put into the hands of 20,000 Iranians. They started two uh, secret house churches before they were eventually arrested and put in the notorious Evin prison in Tehran. And even there, at the risk of their lives, they still shared their faith with others. The question is, where do they all get their courage and their strength from? Well, the answer is by trusting in Jesus Christ. I think the most important thing a pastor can do for the church that God places uh, him in is, uh, first of all, to help those who do not yet believe to trust in Jesus. And for those who do already have a faith, to help them grow in that faith. Because as we grow in faith in Jesus, that we experience his strength and his courage in our lives. And we all need that strength and courage, don't we? Um, whether we're going through some really tough challenges at the moment, which I'm sure some of you will be doing, or just to lead the life of an ordinary Christian in the place that God has put us. How do we grow in our faith? Well, it's as we know God more deeply through his word, as we pray for his spirit to be at work in our lives, making us more like Jesus and trusting in him more. So let's pray that he would speak to us now as we look at this passage from Joshua 1 together, let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself through your word. Help us now to know you more deeply. Help us to grow in our faith in you. So that by the power of your spirit, we may experience more of your strength and courage in our lives. For your glory's sake. Amen. In case you're not familiar with the book of Joshua, let me just give you a brief introduction to, to set the scene. The book opens with 
the words after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, in verse 1. And the fact that Moses is mentioned 11 times in this chapter um, shows that he is no insignificant figure in the history of Israel. In fact, he is Israel's great leader. If you turn back a page in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 34, right at the end there of that book in verse 10, it says, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt. It's not a bad obituary, is it, that were written about you in the, the Times? But although he was a great leader, Moses wasn't perfect. He was disobedient. And God didn't depend on Moses to fulfill his plans. God's plans to bring his people into the promised land will be fulfilled by a new leader, by Joshua. And in this chapter, God is commissioning Joshua for his task, and he's encouraging him to do that. How does he do that? Well, three times he says to him, verse 6, seven and nine, be strong and courageous. And later on, the Israelites repeat back to Joshua in verse 18, only be strong and courageous. That's the key message of this passage. And it's a message that is relevant for each one of us today. Because the source of Joshua's strength is the same as ours. It comes from God. So how do we get that strength and courage from him? by trusting the same four things that we see Joshua trust in in this passage. The first of those is that he trusts in God's promises. He trusts in God's promises. Have a look at verse 2. God says to Moses, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the River Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. The promise God made to Moses was the same promise he made to Abraham back in Genesis, that he would give his people land. That's why he called Moses to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt and to bring them into that land. And 40 years previously, he had brought his people to the edge of the promised land. But what happened then? Well, let's just turn back to remind ourselves to, of the story in Numbers 13. You've got your Bibles handy there. I'm sure many of you will be familiar with the story. Moses has sent out 12 spies on a 40-day recce of the land. And 10 of them come back with this report in verse 27. They say, we went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. And in comparison, they said, we feel, verse 33, like grasshoppers. They were afraid. They knew that God had promised to, to give them the land, but they didn't trust that he would do what he said he would do. They trusted more in their own analysis of the situation and that, humanly speaking, it was impossible. 
And as you go into chapter 14 of Numbers uh, there, we read in verse 2 that all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. All that is, except two spies, Joshua and Caleb, which is probably why those names are so popular with Christian parents. Joshua gives a very different report. Have a look at his report in verse 7 there. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. In other words, he will do what he promised. Sadly, because of the people's lack of trust in God's promises, which is at the heart of sin, they did not get to enjoy the promised land and instead spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. The significance of the land is not just about a geographical place. It's a barometer of the relationship between God and his people. The people will eventually take possession of of the land, but then they will end up disobeying God, and after many warnings have been given to them, he will send them into exile. He will take away the land from them. But eventually, in his mercy, he will restore them to the land. There's a far bigger and better promise that runs through the, the Old Testament, and that is the promise of a king. A king who would establish a throne that will last forever. That king, of course, is Jesus. And as we trust in him to forgive us for our sin, to rule over our lives, that we become part of his kingdom. A kingdom at the moment is is spiritual. When Jesus comes again, he will gather his people to be with him in a new heavens and a new earth. The question each one of us needs to answer, therefore, is do you trust in that promise? Do you trust in Jesus Christ and what he can do for you? Well, sadly, just as the people of Israel in Moses' day did not trust that God was able to give them the land, so do many people today not trust that through Jesus God is able to give us eternal life and reconcile us to him. It's estimated that... um, Over 2 million Israelites died in the wilderness over those 40 years. The only two adults from that original group who took possession of the land were Joshua and Caleb. That is 0.0001% for you mathematicians. Um, Imagine how they felt when every year 50,000 people died in the wilderness. They had tried desperately to persuade them of the truth, to to get them to trust in the promises of God. But they did not succeed. Percentage of Christians in this country is a bit higher than that, but I wonder if that's maybe how you feel. You're desperate for your, your friends, your colleagues, your family to put their trust in God's promises. But they seem to keep resisting. We have to remember that we cannot convert them ourselves. That's not in our power. Our role is to proclaim to them the good news of Jesus Christ, to to model that as we live out our lives. But it's then to pray that God would have mercy on them. And we can take great confidence that God is still building his his kingdom, isn't he? People are still coming to faith 
he is still changing lives as he opens people's eyes to see the truth in Jesus. But God's promises are not just about the life to come, they're also about this life. And we receive his strength and courage, secondly, when we trust in God's presence. At the end of verse 5, the Lord says to Joshua, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. When God first called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, Moses' reaction was, Who, me? Who am I to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I think he must have made a mistake there, God. How does God encourage him? Is it by saying maybe the way people would do today? Um, actually, no, I really think you've got it in you. You, know, you, can, you can nail this. You're better than you think you are. No, he says simply, I will be with you. In other words, yes, at one level, you are right on your own, you are weak. But with me, you are strong. And now he's giving the same reassurance to Joshua. The leaders of God's people may change, but God never changes. His encouragements remain the same. At the end of verse 7, the Lord says to Joshua again, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So how do we know that that message for Joshua then is one that's also meant for us today? Because the Bible is full of reassurances that God is with us today. New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, there the writer quotes this verse, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Then he goes on to say, in the next verse, in verse 6, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? For God to be with us is to help us. Remember the Last Supper when Jesus told his disciples what was about to happen? He was about to leave them. How did he encourage them? He, he said, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. God is with us today by his Holy Spirit who helps us. And one of the key ways in which he helps us is when we're afraid. I wonder what it is that makes you most afraid. What are you most fearful of? The particular fear that God reassures um, the people in the letter to the Hebrews, is the same fear that God is reassuring Joshua about here in this chapter. Because the people of the Israel would have faced a fear of people. In Joshua's day, it was a fear of the people who occupied the land. They were afraid that these, these giants in their eyes, who all looked like uh, Samoan rugby players, would defeat them in battle. But who are the, we, who are the people we fear today? for whom we need the reassurance of God's presence. Isn't it our fear more about what people think of us? A fear of alienation? Because we're Christians, we hold beliefs that are very different from the world around us. As any teenagers here will, will know, school is a tough place for being a Christian. You're being presented with uh, the teaching on evolution as fact, 
And if you dare suggest the possibility of a, a creator God, you will face ridicule. On the other hand, you're presented with a teaching about a religion as all beliefs are equally valid. And if you dare suggest that maybe one of them is actually true, you risk being branded as intolerant. And of course, those situations don't just apply to teenagers, they apply to all of us so, as adults as well as we go through life. How does God's presence help us in those situations? How does it take away our fear? Well, it's the same answer for us in this country who fear ridicule as it was for Mariam and Mazir who feared losing their lives in Evan prison. It's to remember in those words of Hebrews, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? As Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The thing is, we don't need, if we put our trust in Christ, to fear God anymore. Because he is our father. He's with us. And if the the immortal, all-powerful creator God is with us, then what have we got to be afraid of? We can be strong and courageous when we trust in God's presence. Thirdly, we can be strong and courageous when we trust in God's word. Unfortunately, for those who love alliteration, this is the only point that doesn't start with a P. Um, So for the benefit of the Portuguese speakers, I've changed it to trust in God's palavra. There you go, a third P for you to remember have a look at verse 7. Because the Lord there says to Joshua this. He says, Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. The book of the law is not just meant the Ten Commandments, but the whole of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the the Old Testament, which Joshua would have had. And by the law, it's also meant God's instruction, an instruction that we are called to obey today as part of his his word to us. And you might be wondering, I thought you said trust in God's word, but here it says obey God's word. The thing is, we will only obey God something if we trust in it, won't we? We'll only obey God's word if we really trust in God's word. And we will only obey it wholeheartedly when we delight in it. I know that health and safety guidelines are for my benefit. I will obey them. Um, Do I delight in reading them? If I'm honest, probably not really. God's word, on the other hand, It's not a series of rules or guidelines. It reveals who he is. It reveals what's important to him. It reveals his love for us. It is his autobiography. And that's exciting, isn't it? That makes us want to to meditate on it day and night. Which doesn't mean we have a 24-hour quiet time. But it means we allow our lives to be so shaped by God and his will that his will and our will become the same. Our joy is found in him. 
as it says in Psalm 1, the one who meditates on his law day and night is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Whatever they do prospers. As David says in Psalm 119, your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. So the promise made to Joshua is one that's made to us. If we are careful to obey all the law and are careful to do everything written in it, then we will be prosperous and successful. Of course, the trouble is we all know that none of us um, can obey all the law. We all fail all the time. That's why we had a prayer of confession later on in the service, isn't it? So how can we be prosperous and successful? Well, fortunately, God sent Jesus to do what we cannot do. Only Jesus was able to live a perfect life, to be perfectly obedient to his Father. And in God's wonderful mercy, he took the punishment we deserved for failing to live such a life. And we received his righteousness that we didn't deserve. And so... We have been saved. We can enjoy a new life in Christ. That is how we are prosperous and successful. It doesn't mean that we will necessarily be financially well off or physically healthy or successful in our careers or happily married, but we will enjoy all the spiritual blessings of being in Christ. And it means we can enjoy the new covenant that Jesus established when he shed his blood for us, that we'll be celebrating later on in the service. The new covenant in which God promised to put his law in our minds, to write his law in our hearts, that means we can now delight in his word and seek to obey it. And as we receive strength and courage from trusting in God's word, we want to encourage others to to do the same as well, which brings us on to our last point. We will find strength and courage if we trust in God's people. Now, I need to be careful here. I'm not saying our brothers and sisters in Christ are perfect and fully trustworthy. I'm not saying that they will never let you down because I'm sure most of us have either let others down or been let down by others. Our trust should ultimately be in Christ and not in human beings. What I am saying is that God has put your brothers and sisters into your life for your benefit. He's put you in their lives for for their benefit. And so be encouraged by that. And seek to develop relationships of trust and honesty with them. Where do we see that in the passage here? Um, Have a look at verse 12 there. There we read of the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh who were the ones in Numbers 32 who asked Moses for the land to the east of the Jordan. Now Moses uh, was angry with them because he felt it would discourage the rest of the Israelites from taking possession of the land. But he agreed on the condition that their men, first of all, went into battle with the other tribes before they went and settled in their own land. So now Joshua has to remind them of that promise. And so he says, have a look at verse 14. You are to help your fellow Israelites until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. 
But fortunately, they do demonstrate their uh, willing obedience to Joshua and to God. They keep their promises. And through that, that willingness to help their fellow Israelites, they too are a great source of strength and encouragement to the others. And one of the ways God gives us courage today is through the encouragement of one another, through his church. When we come together to to worship, we're not just coming as individuals to, to hear God speak to us. We're coming together to build one another up. Don't give up meeting together, the writer to the Hebrews said, but encourage one another. The Holy Spirit, the great encourager, gives us gifts to encourage one another. At the root of that word encourage is to come alongside. We come alongside one another. We understand each other's needs. And as we point one another to God, we help each other trust in his promises, trust in his presence, and trust in his word. So before you leave today, ask the Lord, who is it that he's prompting you to encourage this morning? As you pray for one another during the week, ask the Lord to lay someone on your heart who you can encourage, maybe with a text, maybe with a phone call, an offer of some practical help, maybe just suggesting let's get together and read the Bible and pray with one another. Trust in God's people because they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you give us strength and courage, that we find that in you as we put our faith in you as we trust in your wonderful promises to us, not least that you would send the Messiah, the promised King, the Saviour, the one who would forgive us for our sins and make us right with you, the one who you've promised will come again one day to gather his people to be with you in heaven as heaven and earth come together. Lord, keep us focused on that promise. And Lord, help us... In our lives, give us courage and strength as we trust in your word, as we trust in your presence with us day by day. Help us to remember you have sent your your Holy Spirit to be our help and our guide. Lord, help us to be encouraged by that. And Lord, thank you that we have one another, that we are here to give courage to one another, to encourage one another. Help us to do that as we point one another to to you, to the promises in your word. Help us to build one another up as we are built up. So Lord, bless us as we go from here. Encourage us, we pray, in Jesus' name.